This is a Hacking Podcast production, brought to you by Hacking and Licks.com. Are you sick and tired of going to the post office? Is your tongue too dry and small to lick envelopes and stamps? With the Licks.com, you never have to worry ever again. With our team of moist lickers, your envelope will be soaked and ready for delivery anytime from 5 o'clock onward on the last Sunday of every month. Simply leave post, stamps and 20 euro in a busaurus locker number 23 and your letters will be off within the month. No more waiting in line, no more hassle and definitely no police. Start your paid trial today. Freemusic.com Hello and welcome to the Hack Inc. podcast. Uh, Hack Inc., an art TM company. Art is trademark. Nobody can make it now without uh, my permission. Uh, my name is Gareth Lyons and I'm joined by Cav. Hi, huh? There he is. That's his typical catchphrase, as we all know. Uh, my little gong, my little gong in my pocket. Yeah. So if you hear, and also if you hear any, well, that's not relevant. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, do we we need to mention that? Yeah, go on. All right. Well, uh, so background tittering. Yeah. So yeah, do you want to introduce? It's my friend Isabel. I brought along today. Isabel. So if you hear laughing in the background, that's it. Yeah. Don't worry about um, because it. we're that funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. We so <laughs> we um, so this week's episode is going to be further uh, look into the animation industry in Ireland, and we're going to move on to the next big fish, uh, Murakami Wolf Swenson. For that was also it was, there's a lot to get into there, so I'll, I'll, I'll save that all for later. But first of all, let's start off with the news. <laughs> <laughs> Skydance. Do you know Skydance? The one that just uh, took Lasseter as the... Yeah. Uh, the li- I think they were a live action studio and they are starting up an animation division and they're getting uh, John Lasseter to head that animation division. So, um, yeah, a bit controversial because we all know John Lasseter, who former head of animation, I think, at Pixar. Yeah. Well, former head of Pixar, anyways, known for uh, doing a lot of groping and hugging mm. and inappropriate behavior. The last to, or less so. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing compilation online. I'll link it below where John Lasseter just like, come here. Nobody gets away. Oh, Ooh. he's that type of guy. He's the uh, hugging at the end of the yeah. hugging at the end of the party. It's and it, like, yeah, so that was kind of annoying. He got brought on and then the company were like, you know, oh, he's an amazing creative talent and, you know, we just want to get him back and he's learned his lesson. He's been out in the woods long enough. Yeah. And, well, I've fucking got to the year Six maybe, months, not yeah. even, you know. But uh, that wasn't really all that was there. It was also like a, uh, you know, a pattern of having meetings with staff and kind of neglecting to invite female creatives into the mix. Oh, and, yeah, because uh, he was making a yeah. point to this now that that's what he was going to be doing in the new place. He was like, yeah, oh, exactly. And he's female like... Female feet first. Also, this woman wrote like a massive article about it and one of it was like the objectification is also pretty off. Like people, f- you know, leering at you and like, you know, I don't know. They had like a fucking... Uh, Halloween costume contest and he got all the ladies to get up and like swivel around let's do a turn you know so uh, yeah I guess I wanted to bring this up because it came into the news like it was pretty bad and they had him come in and apparently there was uh, a Q&A they got like the like uh, the women in animation or some alliance for women in animation in LA have condemned this saying that it's you know not like it's horrible you know to hire a known abuser yeah and to kind of be like, well, you know, 
he's just got more stories to tell. You're like, well, fuck you. Yeah. You know why you're hiring him. The money. Yeah. And then uh, they had a Q&A. They arranged for people to meet up and kind of, and they asked him like, why do you think you've paid enough penance or whatever? You know what I mean? Or why do you think it's okay for you to come back? And he mentioned his therapy and all this type of stuff. And apparently he's been doing therapy. And maybe it's the same therapy that, Weinstein and Spacey are doing you know yeah. what I mean but the gap between all of these people coming back into the public eye is getting like shorter and shorter yeah. and like I, I, I mentioned this before online but it used to be that this is a tweet I put out which is it used to be I had to give a chunk of change to a charity and say and then also do some yeah. reparations you know and like just go through the procedure you know um, but now you don't even have to do that nope. you just have to fucking lie low for six months and be like I told the therapist that I'm sorry for being horny yeah you know and uh, that's it so anyway the reason it came back into the public attention this week is because Brad Bird yeah yeah a statement about it so Brad Bird talks in his this interview about like well you know I can't he's my friend and you're like okay that's fair enough you know what I mean he's like and I feel bad for a situation. You're like, okay, you're getting into more murky territory yeah. or you just kind of be like, just say he did a shitty thing. Yeah. Like, just say it, you know? But he was basically saying that, you know what? He's an old dog and he didn't know the rules and, you know, and I feel bad for him and he really stuck his neck out for me and got me a job doing these films when, you know, no one else would. And, you know, so my relationship's very conflicted with him, you know? But, uh, so he's clearly saying like, you know, what he did an inappropriate hugging you know that's not too bad in the grand yeah. scheme of things maybe we should just get over it and try and figure out how to move on you know but then it obviously tells on himself by saying he did a lot for me and you go like yeah he did do a lot for you yeah. didn't he where he got you in a room like a whole team of male animators and all of these male dominated things and then of course not forgetting brenda chapman working on the film replaced by a man halfway yeah. through the production and a story based on her own fucking daughter you know yeah it's like you know, it's all this type of shit where it's like, you know, listen, we didn't know. And it's like, well, now you fucking do. And it's a boys club and it's dominated. And you can't just say like, you know, if only like things could be different and I could change my ways. You know, what I mean? yeah. but unfortunately, I have been trained since birth to treat women like a piece of fucking meat. So I have to continue and you can't be mad at me. You know, what yeah. I mean? so that was annoying. But then the other thing, which is a conspiracy, not getting crazy in me is that well, first of all, you see Skydance mentioned at the start of nearly every Mission Impossible movie. So I think that it's another, like, branched off company of um, Scientology. bad robot. Sorry, no, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, Scientology, yes. No, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're Tom Cruise. Cruisey boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams' production company. Oh. But anyway, as we all know, some of us, uh, Brad Bird directed the fourth Mission Impossible movie. Oh. And uh, as we know from like the circuitous route of Hollywood from last week's episode, all it can take is, you know, Morris Sullivan knowing some guy who knows Steven Spielberg yeah. to get you a job on a fucking movie for them. Do you know what I mean? So is it beyond the realm of possibility that he's like, my friend is really hard done by, let me just introduce you to him and you can kind of work with yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Bird was kind of responsible for setting up the connections that got uh, John Lasseter in that thing, you know. Back in, back in the That is all again. speculation. Do not sue me. You can't. Yeah. Uh, I'm we only, just a voice. Yeah, we have 55 <laughs> listeners. You won't yeah. get a penny from me. Yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, that's one Moron. bit of animation news. How do we feel? Yeah, your name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be a no from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I got to say, he put in a good game, all right? <laughs> um, cool. So that's one of them. Now, the next part of it is uh, just... just Start off with the bad news. You bring him back around to the good news. Yeah, the good news. Am I right? Yeah. Bring it. Louise Bagnell. Woo! Getting that Oscar nom, yeah. baby, for uh, Late Afternoon, which unfortunately... Well, if you haven't seen it, I think it's offline again now. They Is it offline again? They, took, uh, they had to take it down <sighs> again. Baby. But I mean... Chorus. It was there for whatever. It was good there for like a good like month or two. Very good film. I was I loved it. I thought yeah. it was great. And the color... And also like, yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Late Afternoon is about basically a woman who's struggling with Alzheimer's, but it's done in this kind of very playful, cheerful way. And yeah. it's not like, you know, I just love the idea of this person like hopping from memory to memory yeah. and things being like kind of untethered, but ultimately it's not an unhappy film. Yeah, about because like, it, it was, it's a, it's a case that it's, uh, it's a, it's a, the contrast is, I think it's that she had a happy life. Yeah. But yeah. it's the, it's just the fact that now it's almost like the, just the sad part is that, she's unable to tell the story herself but we're still able to view it yeah. you know what I mean but yeah it's done it's like almost in the way like I think it's uh, do you know that guy Bill Wirtz like that um, Sounds it's familiar, like a YouTube no. guy but he's pretty and he was saying that if you can if you can do uh, a happy melody with sad lyrics and still make people sad. he's like that's when you get it and I feel like they were like happy mm. visuals but it still it still made you feel sad I was like that's how, that's what uh, struck me with it yeah anyway. and I, I loved how um, the character like let's say okay I think there was I haven't seen the notebook but isn't there something where he goes in and she doesn't recognise who yeah. he is and that's why it's so sad you yeah. know but it was amazing that in this movie they had a moment like that and it was actually quite a happy moment yeah. and cheerful. Yeah. And it reminded me of this uh, documentary. Uh, it's, a, it's a little clip. You can get it online. It's about a guy who has a condition where, degenerative condition where he's basically got 10 second memory, you know? Oh, like 50 first dates. Yeah, <laughs> like, like first that. dates Ireland. Yeah. Um, oh. But he, it's it's very sad. Uh, but, but one of the funnier parts about it is that every time his wife leaves a room for more than 10 seconds and she comes back in, it's he's his wife is the only one he remembers yeah and it's like she hasn't seen her in 10 years okay so he she, he's like you know in this interview and he's like it's terrible it's terrible having 10 second memory it's yeah. terrible it's awful and he's just getting and then all of a sudden she's like she's like i'm just gonna go out and get some tea and he's like that's fine yeah brilliant and then he's there yeah it's terrible having 10 second memory and then she just comes back in he's like oh my it's <laughs> you and he's like so happy and he's coming over and hugging her yeah. oh god and she's like yeah thanks yeah. you know what I mean? and uh but it was just like it was such a cheery side of something that was so depressing oh. and to have like and the other part about it was that she inhabits those memories like she believes that she is yeah. that little girl for a second and the terror comes from feeling like fuck I'm an old woman yeah. you know what I mean and uh, yeah I loved it I thought it was great and uh, I think Louise Bagnell is, is amazing as well and um, yeah it's it's similar feeling to uh, I remember back in like 2007 when Cart- I, was it, I think it was 2007 Cartoon Saloon were nominated for Secret of Cows yeah and you're just like an Irish studio yeah. making it in obscurity are like one of their first features nominated for an Oscar this is incredible yeah and it didn't even matter if you won you were like this is unbelievable that was something yeah you know but then like hey, it's still a big you know honour to be nominated but you know first of all when you see those depressing Oscars ballots where it's like didn't even look at the kids stuff just gave it to my, my children yeah they liked Frozen fucking that one went yeah whatever know. it's like okay 
So Cartoon Saloon are never going to win that because Lego Movie is going to come in and clean the fucking floor just yeah, because yeah. it's a brand name or blah blah, you know. And um, and also like they got nominated so many times, it's like woo yeah cool. Yeah. <laughs> like a hundred percent of their feature films are nominated for Oscars, yeah. you know. So the idea of the short is really fresh because it's like you know I think. Tom Moore has directed the... No, Tom Moore directed the first two and then Nora yeah. Toomey directed the third one. That yeah. was great. Yeah. And that one really felt like a, con- a contender until you realize that the Academy fucking sucks and they don't watch any of the, yeah. the films, you know? Yeah. Um, but then when you... Yeah, the idea that uh, in, the, in the best way possible that I can say this... Uh, nobody really fucking cares about the shorts except for the people who care about the shorts. Yeah, you know exactly, what I mean? Yeah. So you're, you're, you've got as much of a chance as anybody to make, to make, uh, to get voted in as a short. Yeah. So this is like, this is great. She's like young talents. It's amazing as well. And then, um, the film is also good. So it's like the same feeling as back in like 2007 where you're just like, wow, yeah. you know, they're like, this person did it, you know? So, yeah, you're right. This is a feel-good story. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Louise Bagnall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I haven't looked at any other the other nominations yet. So. Nor I. Oh, was that one that you sent me, the French one? Was oh, that nominated? that is something as well. That is a fucking sick short. That What's is, the name of that? Can you tell uh, me? Le Pepe Morse. Oh, yeah. Look that one up. Yeah, maybe, oh, maybe drop baby. that one below. That's, yeah. yeah. That was a good one. That was in the long list, and I don't know if it's in the short list, so... That uh oh no I'd say I'd say without a doubt like that that one is just uh, that one is a, a keeper as well. It's been yeah. a good year for shorts. Oh let's yeah, just put it that way. Yeah, um and you know what like remember there was one called like branded or some bullshit. Do you remember that one? Mm. It was like and all it was was like logos, animated, really like really dumb. Mm. I didn't like it anyway. It was, it was about 20 minutes long and it would be like the Nike logo walking around. And it was like, oh, very interesting commentary, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what? Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I mean, basically I'm saying that the... He thought that was a short, but he was just walking down to Grafton Street oh, one God. day. Yeah, yeah, and then I was just... <laughs> I found him in a That's my awesome man and I might open up my mind. Well, you guys should be like you know, I was really thinking that we're all like the fucking same man, yeah. you know <laughs> okay that was the news okay that's it that is the news isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> I don't have any as other news I can tell yeah okay that's the news in Ireland and abroad uh, probably should have started with Ireland but actually glad we didn't because at least it was a positive note to go mm-hmm. out on mm-hmm. you know um, alright so Murakami Wolf Swenson this was a very difficult thing to research and I haven't found enough research basically um, there's a lot on Murakami there's not much on Fred Wolf and then there's barely fucking anything on Swenson like yeah. at all um, and also it was very difficult to keep track of the company name okay so it was like Wolf Fred Wolf films Murakami Wolf films and then there was like Murakami Wolf Swenson yeah and I wasn't sure who was involved at what time or what happened yeah. you know at one we, stage they were calling themselves oh! <laughs> 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 I really got me sorry I, I, there was a 
uh, the other one was, uh, that we get confused with as well is and like I go like oh you know Fred Wolf and they go yeah the Law and Order guy it's like no that's Dick Wolf you know <laughs> which is a way better name <laughs> Dick Wolf uh, no but Fred Wolf not to be confused with Dick Wolf not to be confused <laughs> with an actual wolf <laughs> um, yeah so so yeah one thing that'll happen the three things that will happen if you're in a taxi and you say you do animation okay these are three of the things that the person will say okay yeah the taxi driver will say he will say actually he's got i've got four yeah i might have one as well so yeah he'll go like oh you so like them pixar fellas that's one yeah number two is um yeah, yeah, I remember Bluth setting up there in the seventies. Now, and they were in, they were wrong. It was the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they, that's number two. Number three is um, oh, I have a cousin who works in brown bag actually. Yeah, and then number four, which we're on to today as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, actually, this is this is a genuine. Okay, uh, we're doing a switch to an actual anecdote now. Okay, this is how this podcast is free. Yeah, freestyle. yeah, yeah. Woo. Uh, so I was a. Uh, um, I was uh, lived in a house in Dunleary, obviously, some stage. And uh, I remember talking to my landlord, and he was like quite a posh Southside guy, do you know? And he was like, oh, uh, I design boats for a living. And, you know, that, he did design boats, you yeah. know? And he owned like a few properties. He designed boat it. names. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I lived with him as well. We lived in the house. It was me, Fiacre, and then this, like. Is that the guy who used to freeze fries? No, that's a different oh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's another story for another time. All right. <laughs> Um, that's for our, our, our uh, full Irish breakfast yeah. podcast yeah. that we do as well. That's genuinely a man who used to freeze his fry, <laughs> his bre- his Irish fries like a breakfast, and oh. he would he would wrap them in cling film and put them into a fridge. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Anyway, that, that's another story for another Sorry, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, I was living in this house with Fiacre uh, in, uh, near Dunleary and there was like eight people living in the house and then the landlord and his girlfriend lived upstairs, you know. And um, he was very nice. There was, it was a great house. It was one of the best places I've lived in Dublin and uh, one of the better places I lived in Dunleary. Um, sorry, I was hearing music. Is that your phone or is it? That's so weird. Do you hear Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> Sorry, we need to cut around this. How did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles start? Holy shit. <laughs> it just moved on to the lost city of Atlantis. I thought, you're just like, wait, what the fuck are we doing there? <laughs> it's like a reverse late afternoon. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. oh. <laughs> I'm a podcaster. How did I get so old? <laughs> it's okay, guys. Saying, we're in Austria. I was just playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just playing frisbee with my dad. <laughs> I was just on Trinity oh Grounds God. playing <laughs> ultimate frisbee with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Sorry. Keep that in. That's good stuff. <laughs> so I was living in a house uh, with uh, the landlord and his girlfriend and about like eight other people. Yeah. Um, this was quite a cantankerous place and a lot of great situation. It was loads of fun, very creative atmosphere. But anyway, I remember not really knowing him well, and you're making like small talk at the start, yeah. and so I just go to him like, you know, 
um, oh, so what do you do for a living? And then he's like, oh, well, I design boats. I make boats for a living. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, what do you do yourself now? I was like, oh, I'm a student. I'm, I'm studying animation. Oh, animation. Yeah, I worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in the day as well, actually. Like it was like, oh, I did a bit of plumbing myself. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Or whatever. I was just like, what the fuck? But apparently like, yeah, so that is number four, the most yeah. common thing that people say to you. Um, um, I know somebody who worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or blah, 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 you yeah. know. And, um, but literally because, uh, I think we talked about it obviously in last week's episode that the Irish government was very anxious to get a lot of jobs going. Yeah. So they encouraged the animation industry at that time. And it basically meant that anybody who could hold a pencil and you could come out straight out of NCAD, there was no colleges or anything. Yeah. You would probably be hired to yeah. work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And as we saw from an episode that we watched and we'll later review, mm -hmm. um, it definitely showed in a lot of the work. <laughs> yeah. uh, the quality was, you know, uh, so, so yeah. Um, what was the other thing you were going to say that people always tell you about animators? Oh, that uh, I got one once that I, I said I worked in animation and he said, uh, so you're working at the Aldi? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, man. He was like, yeah, we've all got Mickey Mouse and the rest of them. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, he got me. He got me. I was like, this moron. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually, that oh, wasn't in, in so a taxi. Good. That was like by the, one of the men that guards the 40 foot. But oh I felt like he God. could have been a taxi driver just based off the fact that one of his arms was like more tan than the rest yeah. of them because he'd just be hanging that out of the side of a Passat or something. So, um, as you're saying, yeah, uh, Fred Wolf studios or murakami wolf or murakami wolf swenson um is was one of the studios that kind of kick-started the animation industry in ireland as well yeah. on top of uh Bluthy sullivan bluth yeah um and i also heard of another studio which, which i knew nothing about which we'll actually have to talk about at a later stage yeah. once i figure out more about it okay but watch out for emerald city oh. productions which I'd never heard of. What did they have under their belt, on their hat? Maybe they did like a bunch of Wizard of Oz things for oh. obvious reasons, you know, Emerald oh, City. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was because of the Emerald Isle, huh? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Wrong! Okay. So like I said, you know, um, I was doing some research into this. It was hard to find a lot of things. I've consulted a lot of, um, you know, newspaper clippings and, you know, fucking... I, I did genuinely... I've been like... And I tried to ring the IFI and get some sort of, like, footage or yeah. some sort of... And we found, like, trace bits of it, but it's always, like, stuff like... Um, you know, like, jokes we'll hear later on, even where it'll be like, you know... Uh, St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, but a couple of... Four turtles are coming back in. You know, that yeah, type of stuff. Yeah. It'll always be, like, articles where, like, imagine, they're making... They're drawing them up yeah. there. Huh? <laughs> uh... So yeah, like I said, more Cami Wolf Swenson. We're going to talk about those three in very broad strokes and give them their own individual episodes later on once we find out more and if we find out more. Mm. Uh, but especially going to give uh, a big episode to Jimmy Marikami as Cahill Gaffney of Brown Bag fame referred to him, the founding father of Irish animation. At least know? that's what I've been telling people. Um, yeah, yeah. I've told him that as well. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was going to say Cahill <laughs> Gaffney stole my idea to come yeah. That's a really bad... That doesn't even make sense as a joke. <laughs> so, um, so, 
Let's get down and break down the history, starting with the big kahuna himself first, which is uh, Jimmy Murakami. Jimmy um, Murakami! Is that racist, is it? Did you do that? No, I was doing Was like that meant to be thing. like, oh, wrestler, yeah. okay. <laughs> I thought you were doing it like, you know. Um, sorry. I'm just going to look at really quickly because I... <laughs> I wore this lampshade on my head yeah. before I came yeah. in. <laughs> um, so, original name, originally born as Teruaki Marakami, apparently. According to Wikipedia, that oh. one, I can't verify that. But he obviously ended up going by Jimmy yeah. Marakami. Um, so, he was a child of uh, Japanese immigrants and born in California. And why I didn't write the year down whatever we'll save that for the Jimmy Marikami podcast <laughs> yeah. but here is a tragic uh, childhood as he grew up during World War II and was in an internment camp for a part of his life yeah. where his sister died I found out oh. his sister died of leukemia his older sister and it was an incredibly scarring time you know so obviously there's so much to unpack there um, we're giving him his own episode later on down the line and we'll save all that for another time mm-hmm. so he went on to study in Schoenard Art Institute that's how it looks so that's how I'm saying it <laughs> in the late 1950s he worked in UPA in 1955 okay um, what does UPA stand for again? United Productions of America, which okay. are famous for their very iconic style that got adopted in advertisements in the 50s and stuff, you know, yeah, um, and basically changed the face of animation. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we're just kind of skipping through the, the timeline to get to when he gets to Ireland. Uh, after that time in UPA, he ended up bopping around. He went from New York to Japan and then to London and all around Europe before coming back to Los Angeles and setting up Murakami Wolf in 1965 okay. with his business partner, Fred Wolf. Okay. Uh, it was a commercial studio and uh, they basically used it to keep the lights on and make their own personal projects. Okay. Uh, finally, though, he settled in Europe in 1971 after working with Roger Corman. Roger Corman is a famous B-movie director who uh, is responsible for the kickstarting a lot of careers, actually, in live-action circles. Oh, yeah. You know? um, uh, Jack Nicholson, for example. Oh. And uh, there's some other people. I, I know that I, I could be wrong about this. I'd have to look it up, but uh, there's like literally people like... I think that, oh yeah, I think James Cameron works for him and, and Joe Dante and people like that, you know. But it would be like working on Piranha, Piranha 2. Yeah. You know what I mean? Stuff yeah. like this where it's like, it's just absolute trash. But uh, one of the famous quotes by Roger Corman is somebody was like, you know, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to do it my own way or whatever. And he was like, well, the good news is if you do it for me the way I want to do it, you'll never have to work for me ever again. (laughs) (laughs) So as in like, you know, obviously people went on to do amazing things after after him. So Easy Rider, I think, was made with um, Corman, you know. Oh, okay, nice. I don't know. I think Jack Nicholson... No, I, I'm not going to say anything about that. No, we're, not, we're not a live action podcast, so fuck it. So anyways, um, um, yeah, Roger Corman was, f- there's a documentary about it. Um, I think it's called It Came from Connemara. But, uh, it was about Roger Corman, obviously, like many people coming to Ireland to make movies on the cheap and okay. make things on the cheap yeah. in general. So Roger, so um, Jimmy Marikami 
was working for Roger Corman and directed one of the most egregious Star Wars ripoffs I've ever seen very, called very uh, so. Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. Uh, which we can't, maybe we might watch for his, you know, his episode later on. But I think in that time in Ireland and working with Roger Corman, he actually met Swenson, which is Charles Swenson. You know, so he obviously he's a very lo-fi independent kind of person. And he also set up a studio in Ireland at that time called uh, Quetro Films okay. to make his own uh, freelance projects. But uh, later he closed that to set up Murakami Films in Dublin. Yeah. And then with his former business partner, Fred Wolf, boy, yeah. managed to set up Wolf, um, Murakami Wolf. Yeah. And Fred Wolf was already working in production on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they took on some of that as a satellite studio, you know? So that's his story leading up to time on the turtles and probably where we'll leave it for now, just so that we can have time to fit everybody else in. Yeah. But, uh, where the f- sorry, I had the tab open and now it's gone. I'm literally opening Fred Wolf's Wikipedia page and we're just going to look at the films that he made. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh baby. So the box uh, so Fred Wolf is famous for directing The Box, which was nominated and won an Oscar um, from 1967. And it's about an old bearded man wearing a raincoat. This is straight off of IMDb. Right. <laughs> this is available yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an old bearded man wearing a raincoat walks into a bar and sits down, playing a mysterious, placing a mysterious box next to him. The other patrons try with varying success to find out what's inside. Pretty good. Yeah. Gotta hand it to him. Louise Bagnell, hang it up. The best films already been made. <laughs> best short. So an American animator, his works include the 1967 short subject, The Box, for which he won an Academy Award. Whoa. Okay. Uh, it was hand-drawn. It was kind of like crafty looking, yeah. you know. Um, and he made a television special with Harry Nilsson, famous Harry nice. Nilsson, uh, called The Point. Okay. And uh, then, obviously, his commercial studio produced such shows as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, James Bond Jr., and Budgie, the Little Helicopter. Oh, good grief. Yeah, I know. It's all pretty... Ended on a high there. Woo! So, um, yeah. Also, this is a very funny thing about the Wikipedia page for Fred Wolf. In 1989, MWS, obviously stands for Murakami Wolf Swenson, established a satellite studio in Dublin, Ireland, known as Murakami Wolf Dublin. S is vanished now. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> before not eventually good. adopting its current name, Fred Wolf Films Dublin. In this studio, each project is produced by a dedicated Irish crew of leprechauns. <laughs> so, I don't know how long that's been up there, but it hasn't been changed. I did that last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Yankin needed it. But I think he like has he's got a lot of kind of credits to his name because you know he wasn't only working on the shows under his own studio, but he also apparently worked on Gargoyles. So oh, it's pretty cool. Cool. And uh, good time. Care Bears. There you go. Oh. Relevant to Irish animation there. Because now we make the fucking Care Bears. Um, so, okay. So that's Fred Wolf. Uh, again, like like Murakami doing like independent projects. And of course, like Murakami would probably be most famous for uh, When the Whistle Blows, which is like his collaboration with Raymond Briggs. Yeah. And it was uh, the film After the Snowman. I mean, he's famous for being kind of, I think he was like Lee. an assistant director or something like that. He wasn't like a director. Yeah, it- 
but was the animation was, director on maybe yeah and he was heavily involved in the snowman like i say that's for a future episode yeah. Yeah. but either way these guys have a history of being like you know lo-fi kind of relative i mean not lo-fi but just like creatives and people yeah. who are interested in animation and making films you know and um and edgy films like yeah. legitimately edgy films and not like bluth which was like off-brand disney do mm-hmm. you know um, or trying to recapture Disney yeah, magic. They were they were doing, making yeah, they were doing their own independent thing. stuff. Yeah. Now, I really want to know more about this guy and hopefully now we can get in touch with him and maybe yeah. get him on the podcast. But um, Swenson. Um, Sweatshop Swenson. Sweatshop Swenson. Is he known? He's not known as Sweatshop Swenson <laughs> because that is libelous. He did not have a sweatshop. I want that perfectly on the record. And if you're listening to this, Mr. Swenson, please come on the pod. That's all I ask. So I've just written down some loose notes here, but essentially off the back of the popularity of Fritz the Cat. When was Fritz the Cat released? 70, no, 80, early 80s, Fritz like 82. Cat. Obviously we're at the computer, so we can check Fritz the Cat. You were saying 82? Yeah. I'm going to say, and I did not look. Okay. You did. Okay, fine, he- whatever. I won't say it. <laughs> Uh, 1972. Oh, you should have stuck years with seven. Off. Yeah, an idiot. So, off the popularity of that, like apparently that was a big smash. Like people were really excited about it, and so Roger Corman, being the kind of shameless uh, filmmaker that he is, he was like, "We need to get in on that shit." So he got Charles Swenson to direct a movie called Dirty Duck. Okay, <laughs> the 1974 uh, follow up to Fritz the Cat. It wasn't a follow-up. It was, a, it was a trying to ape the kind of X-rated stuff, yeah. you know. Willard, a mild-mannered insurance adjuster, teams up with a foul-mouthed foul who takes Willard on a surreal quest to become less uptight and possibly get laid in the process. <laughs> Boom. So uh, we were watching a video. Uh, the guy provided some... In- the guy whose name is Mick Garris, I'm saying Ah, here, nice. Oh, yeah. Provided some information on Charles Swenson saying, like, he mostly directed children's stuff after Strawberry that. Strawberry Shortcake. Strawberry Shortcake. A um, few Rograts, was it? A few Rograts. Yeah. And then he didn't hear from him. Well, he retired in the early 2000s and is now a painter in Los Angeles but also he was one of the names on Murakami Wolf Swenson in Ireland back in the 1980s and they moved the studio there in 1989 as far as I know that's where they had the studio they opened up the satellite studio uh, which was obviously started by Murakami he brought on his business partner and presumably Swenson who he met with Corman as well and they started up this company until eventually Fred Wolf was the only one left in there and was running, you know, this place that did the turtles. Okay, so that's the brief broad strokes history of the studio. Now let's talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah! Or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles if you were in Europe because of the restrictions on ninjas uh, basically meant that they had to change the title and also later removed uh, Michelangelo's nunchucks because they were deemed inappropriate for children mm-hmm. and they were eventually replaced by the turtle com and the turtle com had a rope between it so it was just nunchucks with a bit of rope yeah and aggressive with two yo-yo shows yeah <laughs> so um yeah what was your introduction to the teenage mutant Ninja turtles cow i said i i gotta say about, oh we were actually discussing this earlier on there it was a case that if you woke up too early on a weekday morning before school mm. you usually get um you get a, like a eye full of uh, two dogs fighting on um, 
animals are far than wood. If you woke up too late, then you get the Flintstones. But if you hit it just right, <laughs> you'd get that uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I was a, a huge fan of. I do remember waking up very early to watch that show, and like, but Teletext would be on at a certain point for me. Anyway. Oh, whoa. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm uh, <laughs> revealing how. But I, Teletext would be on, but it would be really funny because the transmission might have started already up in, or up in fucking, up in fucking Donnybrook and Montrose. <laughs> but for some reason, like, so the Teletext would be sitting there and be waiting. It was like, it said it would start at 7 a.m. and it's 7 now and it's not on. <laughs> and then it would start at like quarter past seven and a part of the episode would have already played. So you don't have missed a bit of it. So you've only ever seen half of every episode. So you just <laughs> yeah. pieced Pretty them together much. Then. I mean, you know, not far off. Um, but that was my, yeah, my, uh, that was uh, eaten with, uh, each bowl was observed with a nice bowl of cornflakes with me. Mm. But uh, And then it, 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 I feel like I've followed them since. And I've, But I'd say, I think out of, all, out of all the series I've been introduced over years, I feel like I'm still pretty prone to the, to the, to the first one, I got to say. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I'm. Um, I think I'm more of a fan of the brand as I am. It's kind of like it's funny. I was I was thinking about this like watching. I went to see um, the Druids do like did like a play of Richard the Third. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't know anything about Richard the Third, but I was sitting there and watching it, and people were like, it was interesting how they substituted these elements, or how they made it contemporary in this way, and they removed this. But I'm like that with the turtles, where <laughs> like I'm not even watching it. I'm like interesting. They took out. Raphael is the leader in this version yeah. in the previous versions you know like, and they'd be like oh curious <laughs> I love the way they've portrayed Krang in this one you know um, I'm like I think my my, the, my earliest memory of the turtles was that I was bought a uh, a bucket like a red bucket that yeah. had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles logo on the side of it you know okay and then the TV was on and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was on and it was like this synapse in your brain going like that's the same thing on the bucket. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. It was like my it's earliest all thing. the bucket. Yeah. So my whole thing has just been about, because it was so much merchandise, do you know? Yeah. That it just made it like, you know, that's really my main obsession is the pop culture element of it. I can't really remember a single episode of the original series. Yeah. Um, and I know, I remember there was, yeah, so like, yeah, early 90s, early mid 90s, I was watching it and they tried to like, change the formula a bit by having them mutate into darker turtles yeah like worse evil looking turtles and then it was kind of put me off i was like that's no I don't like don't that, like that. <laughs> turn that <laughs> off <laughs> make them go back yeah um that Where's was more the towards pizza? the end um uh but uh, yeah the other thing about it was i remember watching the credits the funny thing about the credits for teenage Mutant ninja turtles is it's that it's always some weird still of like them falling down a hole or yeah. something yeah I never got that. That worried that me. About. I think I would would have been ready to go to school then. Yeah. That was it. That was my education in Ireland was nipping down into that hole there. But uh real I, strange real strange one to use, all right, yeah. I remember my dad went like um some name went past and my so my name, my full name is actually Gareth Lyons McLaughlin. Okay. <gasps> and I don't usually use the McLaughlin part, but back then I would have because my Parents were very progressive. They mm. sent me to a multi-denominational school. Ooh. A lot of double-barreled names there, you yeah. know. And, uh, you know, and we called all our teachers by our first names and didn't have any uniforms. You're so, in jeans. Yeah. You're in mm. jeans. And I was wearing, uh, no, I was wearing the friggin', what are you talking about? Corduroy? What's the thing? Yeah, uh, the one that's slacks. lined. It's like lines. Slacks? 
No, what the fuck is it? Culottes. <laughs> is it corduroy? Okay, yeah, corduroy pants. Um, so anyway, um, so <laughs> sorry. Uh, but I remember a name going past, and it was like, you know, Terence McLaughlin animated yeah. animated on this. My dad was like, that could be a relation of ours. And I was like, no, it's not, because it's not made here. It's made in some big place, yeah, yeah. you know? Then I looked it up, and I was like, it is made here. Yeah. And I was like, that man could have been anybody. I could be walking <laughs> a monster. You know? <laughs> My real dad. Um, you know, they're walking among us, these these uh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animators. Yeah. Some of them could be your landlord. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, or so, your taxi yeah. man. Yeah, they're taxi man. Or your lollipop oh, lady. I used to work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles actually myself as well. Yeah. <laughs> the shells are always the hardest part. There was too much light. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Could never keep track of the color. Kept forgetting which one was Raphael. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Was he the blue one? No. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. a few of them went out that way. I tell you, you know. <laughs> I'm definitely doing a runner yeah. on this chap. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was it. I know it is a brand and I'm very excited about that. And I, I, I actually wrote a thesis on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, you uh, won. Yeah. Oh. So, I, that's how sad I am. Um, but what, was your, of, uh, what was your, what was your tag, what was your tag, or was what's the? I can't remember. Yeah. But I know it was also, I just wrote about two things that I liked. Which what was your was, angle? Oh, I do remember my angle. Uh. Um, it was, I wrote about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Doctor Who, okay? And I was talking about, um, I was basically trying to talk about how parody can become canon. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Because the original comic of um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. was a parody of Daredevil, you know? Yeah. Like, in the most obvious way possible. They all had red bandanas, okay? Yeah. There was a parody. It was making fun at the time of... of Apparently, they were, there was a lot of comics like Young Mutants and stuff like yeah. that, or like Teen Mutants, and they were all like trying to capture this teen demographic by having like young kids yeah. who had like mutant abilities. Yeah. So they, the creators were kind of messing around, and they just... They did a drawing to make the other one laugh, and it was like the most ridiculous thing that could be a teenage mutant, you know? Yeah. There's a teenage mutant turtle, a yeah. ninja turtle, you know? And, um, you know, they, they were then started to develop it and then they basically made a parody comic of Frank Miller stuff. Yeah. So if you read it, you know the way Frank Miller is like, you know, um, he's like, my... My right rib breaks. Yeah. I fight on. I hold my steady. My yeah. and he's obsessed with Ronins and samurai and yeah. this kind of culture of honor. You know, yeah. so you know back then he was pretty groundbreaking. Then back in two thousands after September the eleventh, his brain literally broke. Like something happened, and he tried to pitch. This is Frank Miller. Yeah, tried to pitch a comic where Batman goes off killing the Taliban oh, God. and uh, <laughs> literally just mowing down anybody with a turban. Oh. And it was like you know. It was, it was, they were like, no. no. And so he just changed it and made it a, a different character who's a vigilante who's definitely not a bat, you know? Yeah. So anyway, the point is, there's very dark, brooding, gritty comics and they were parodying them using these turtles, you know? But then I was wondering about the point where the turtles become so popular that in the, in the present day, which was about 2012 yeah. when I wrote it, there was like a new series coming out and people were going like, they can't say booyakasha they have to say turtle power yeah. kawabunga and I was like how is something that was like created just exclusively as a parody you know what I mean yeah. how could how does that get some sort of legitimacy or become legitimate and have a canon and a kind of history and stuff that for some reason can't be broken yeah. you know 
So uh, that was my idea. And the other, it was the same thing with Doctor Who. It was using both of those texts to kind of compare and contrast them with each other to show how, like, you know, something that was silly and made on a whim could somehow take on this, you know, reverence for people. Yeah. So anyway, that was too much info. Too much information. Yeah. Uh, Disgusting. Getting cut. Getting cut. Um <laughs> So let me just move on to this. So yeah, they set up in Ireland, uh, obviously cheap, and that was what they got. And uh, you know, apparently within the studio, this is complete hearsay, but from a friend of mine, I was told from another animator who worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that uh, they would have a, a contest called Worst In Between of the Week. Oh, so they would put up and or win between, like, oh, that's a winner. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and everybody was just like, fuck this. This <laughs> is just like and you can watch the show and see for yourself yeah. like you know and I mean like people will now reappraise it and be like oh and it was such a time and the creative energy in the room I was like yeah okay fair enough I believe that but I believe also that you were 21 you know what exactly. I mean like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I like all oh, those days in college where we were just so carefree and you'd come in hungover and you try not to let the boss know um so anyways um for this Thing. Let me see. So set up as an animation. So turtles were animated there. Okay, cool. So I think the turtles were animated from season two onwards. Oh, yeah. So they didn't start off there. Um, and they were set up by Fred Wolf was responsible. See, I think that. So obviously, these guys made the comic and the cartoon. Sorry, they made the comic books and they kind of were set up in a studio they called Mirage Studios. This is Kevin Eastman yeah. and Peter Laird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Wolf was in. Wolf was, was in a different thing. Well, what, no, what happened was um, their comic book had a, a bit of success and then somehow came into the possession of a guy who was an executive or somebody within uh, a, com- a company called Playmates. Right. So he was looking off the beaten path to see, oh, is there any of these comics that we could license and kind of shift around and yeah. change into child-friendly products? So he found this, he approached them and then off of the back of this, he also approached um, Fred Wolf, and then Fred Wolf came in and helped them develop it as an animated series. Okay. Fred Wolf Studios, I should say. And obviously, the exclusive thing was to just make basically TV series that were just TV commercials, yeah. you know, for children's toys. So they had constant new characters. Like, they had a new character every other week that could be turned into a toy, yeah. you know? It's quite crazy that. Um, yeah, the show took off in the way that it did. Because a lot of the time, people call it a post-Reagan cartoon as well. Oh. Because uh, Reagan-era stuff was like G.I. Joe and He-Man, and they were all these kind of, you know, Buff big, dudes. beefy lads. Yeah. Whereas the Turtles were like surfers and kind of like, cowbunga, yeah. dude. And it was like taking off at that time. And, you know, all the pizza and the kind of like, you know, the mutant aspect of it. There's, they weren't perfect kind yeah. of Adonises, you know. And also the thing about the Turtles that was great is that they only took care of their patch of land and they're very much associated with New York. Yeah. Rather than being these imperial guys who you know, oh, we're world protectors, we go off and whatever. You yeah. Know? So, they had um, their streets, they did it from one. Another interesting connection to Ireland is that the first live action movie was directed by Steve Barron from Dublin. Oh. So there you go. Fair play, Steve. Um, and the f- first live action movie seems to be the only one that the original creators actually like. Oh, um, wow. Well. It's quite good actually as well. I'd recommend people watch it. Um, so, so, sorry, uh, the Comics Journal was, I think, set up by Gary Groth and a few others, but they're famous for 
Gary Gratz incredibly controversial interviews. He does these interviews. I think they've been sued like three times. Okay. Oh. And this is like a comic. This is like a, a magazine's journal. Uh, sorry, a magazine about comics from, I think, the, the 70s up until the early 2000s. Okay. Okay. Um, very well researched. I don't know any of this <laughs> shit. I don't, I'm not very good with dates. I just know the story, yeah. you know? Yeah, we're Lucy. Uh, yeah, so it's fine. Um, so numbers are bad for me. So anyways, he had Kevin Eastman on to talk. Yeah. And like, this is the days before the internet and Kevin Eastman is being interviewed for a niche magazine. He just lets loose, you know, what I mean, on this oh, thing. Oh yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Sure I would really degree. recommend reading it. It's like, it's like 20 pages long. All right. It goes on for fucking ever. <laughs> and Kevin Eastman is like, is an amazing guy because like, you know, I guess the broad, another more broad strokes of the turtles, obviously they made the comic. Uh, it became unsuccessful. It became it's unsuccessful. It became surprisingly successful. Yeah. They did not anticipate that this would happen. They set up a comic studio, playmates approached them. They made the series. And, um, then off of the back of this series, they, just branched out into a million different things. They had the movies, they had the TV series, yeah. you know. They they had sorry, they had a live action TV series, yeah. I say. They had like um you know live stage series, shows. Live stage shows. Yeah. But I'm gonna put in a bit of we're coming out of our shells here. Oh know? nice. Have you seen it? It sounds like Christian Rock like I only know good. the Follow Your Heart. Yeah. Follow your heart. And there's what's the one and it's like you can count on us. Yeah. Like, yeah. You go. <laughs> and then the other one is uh, the really funny is that like Splinter is up on stage, obviously the terrible like I think in later one things of his, one of the actor inside balls <laughs> was hanging out. <laughs> Because you're messing there, right? That happened. I can't find that. All right, sorry. Uh, I'm sure I'd know that. But uh, like. They they were <laughs> so with Splinter they give him like a fucking like solo song yeah and he's like he's like up on stage and I'm gonna do bec- I am doing a white guy doing an inoffensive Japanese <laughs> okay. accent yeah and I want that on the record yeah. okay that this is for parody and it's like you know like it's like when I come up to to clear my head I like to skip stones across the water. And then all of a sudden, it's just the music starts. Like, and he goes, step in stones. And it's like, his voice completely changed. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, when I'm stepping and skipping the stones. And uh, it's just like <laughs> such a bizarre musical number. Uh, so anyways, yeah, they had all of this naff, awful shit. Yeah. Okay? So within this article, uh, the history of the title, let's use this really quickly through this. Yeah. Good Lord, I'm saying, is that basically the relationship between Eastman and Laird became very tense, okay? Yeah. Uh, because they were dealing with a, a lot of lawsuits and yeah. stuff, you know? So what ended up happening is um, Eastman signed off on something that Laird really did not agree with, which was the addition of a female Ninja Turtle to the live action TV series, yes. who was to be called Venus de Milo. And he was furious and they fell out over this for years, okay? And Eastman was fed up with the Turtles, so he just signed away his half of the Turtles to Laird, okay? And continued on with his own comic ventures, which are is an incredible story everyone should hear, where he tried to give seventy percent of the profits to the people who make the stuff as opposed to the company. Yeah. And 
just went fantastically bankrupt. Tons of money gone. Very funny story, and he's very candid about it in this interview. Um, but anyways, meanwhile, uh, Laird went on to make a uh, the 2003 or 2002 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series, which oh, yeah. is kind of more like Western influence. I think it was yeah. made with four kids who did the Pokemon series. So yeah. Or they dubbed it at least. I don't know how. Fox isn't Yeah, Fox yeah. Kids or something. Yeah. There was one that was four kids entertainment, though. At the oh, end yeah, of each yeah, one. yeah. I was never, so, I was never into that no, one No, 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 no. I didn't like that one. I thought it was too self-serious. And yeah. Like, so, yeah. Um, so they had like, you know, issues there. There's a section of this interview, in fact, where Eastman just admits straight up, like, you know, I didn't really care about the turtles, but Peter really did. So he, you know, they didn't like the way that the shredder was depicted. They didn't like in the earlier ones that the shredder was really silly. You yeah. know, they preferred him to be serious and menacing like Darth Vader. And they only think that the live action guy got it right. But uh, then, so Laird was like, okay, I'm going to make my own version. of th- uh, I'm going to make the proper version of the shredder in the animated series. And he did. I didn't really like that animated series. Whatever. It's gone now. You know? Yeah. Bye-bye. Um, bye-bye. The, and, um, they had like three versions of that one where they yeah. go into the fucking future as well. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, so then the, he uh, Laird sold on the rest of the Turtles rights to Viacom. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess feeling content that he'd done everything with the Turtles. Viacom then got to work on making a new Nickelodeon series. Then they got Eastman on again. And Kevin Eastman was then involved. And that series is fucking fantastic. This is 2012. I think it started in and, uh, so it's like a horror show for children and it's got very dark gothic kind of and they, oh yeah and this is another thing I forgot to mention there's uh, they're running away from somebody and they have to take refuge in this building so they go into uh, again you know the, the turtles always flirt with casual racism okay oh. uh, but they take refuge in a sushi restaurant okay yeah. which is owned by a Mr. Marakami okay oh. who's a blind uh chef oh, I've seen that see bit. Yeah. yeah and uh, everyone i've shown this to disputes it but he is modeled after jimmy marikami there's no question about it you know wow. and um so yeah marikami appears i'm sure he would hate that because i approached him one time at the goy film flat and said you made the turtles and he was like uh, yes I did and then I was like I want to make cartoons like the turtles and he's like you should really aim higher <laughs> those are not very good cartoons <laughs> um, sadly passed away or yeah. poor one out for Jimmy Marikami one of the one of the legends a varied career very interesting anyway so 2012 series came to an end I think last year and they immediately started work on another hand-drawn series which is now running today with the guy who is responsible for some Samurai Jack something you know and all of the fucking masturbatory animators I know are sharing are like this is fucking class yeah. and it's like it's not yeah. it's just I find the I find it boring I find the movement so like the thing about the 2012 show is that it just like took its time and it genuinely gave each individual turtle like a different fighting style I'm yeah. pretty sure like they would lo- obviously they have to have different fighting styles because they have different weapons yeah. but it was like slow deliberate and ninja stays in the shadows and stuff like this you know but then in this one they're like we're gonna have a pizza party and ooh let's stick our butts out oh my god I'm hurt my <laughs> shell you know what I mean? Every, Shove that up my ass. That's every, what I mean. Yeah. Every character is like Finn from Adventure yeah. Time. Even Splinter, you know? Even he's in oh on the games. Oh my God. Wait until you hear his voice. I mean, it's voiced by a Japanese American. Yeah. 
but my god <laughs> it is like you know like I'm, I'm, I'm fucking I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it he's doing it I'm gonna do it I'm gonna go for it and he'll be like no my butt is asleep just how I like it he literally sounds like that oh. and you're just like oh my god what are you doing <laughs> you know loud. and also like they changed his model to be a little car- more cartoony so always he was like the wise kind of sensei yeah. and they got like a Japanese actor to do his voice from the live action movies yeah. onwards I'm pretty sure so they had Mako do his oh yeah sorry there was another thing I forgot to mention about Laird's time is that in 2007 or 2008 was it that they made like that li- that uh, CGI animated feature film the Michael Bay one, one. No, another no. one. Um, it was CGI animated. It was directed by a guy who's, who's actually, bless his heart, is not very good. Um, <laughs> let me see. It was called TMNT. Um, it was released in, we're going to find out. Good Lord. You can't just type in TMNT anymore, apparently. Uh, got him. IMDB. Okay. 2007, I was correct. So, uh, TMNT... Oh, that's not it. Don't look at that. But this is the poster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pure CGI, uh, but it looks like video game CGI. Absolute dirt, you know? But the voice cast was great. Uh, The direction was fantastic. They really took it seriously. And uh, basically what happened is it was a continuation of the first two live action movies. Or first three, you know? I don't know whether they referenced the third one though but basically what happened is the shredder was defeated but leonardo like feels he failed as a leader okay. so he retreats to the amazon rainforest to be kind of contemplating you know yeah and uh, meanwhile Raphael is back up in the city and and when leonardo returns um there's a new you know vigilante who's going around like beating up thugs and whatever you know and uh, doing it in a way that is not really fitting, being a bit too brutal, oh, you know? Yeah. So they're hunting him down. But obviously, wouldn't you know it, it's Raphael who's the, the, the masquerading Whoa. as this vigilante. But the, repu- the, the relationship between these two brothers has really soured and they're getting like really, they're really angry at each other. It's like, you can't just go away and come back and be the leader, you know? Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And uh, so it was great. It was actually a very good movie, even though the plot of it amounted to when the stars align, these statues come to life. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so anyway, it, it, there was a great battle between um, Raphael, a fight between Raphael and Leonardo. That's actually really good. And it's on YouTube. So recommend people watch that and maybe not watch the rest of the movie. Cool, that's all you need. Yep. Uh, directed by Kevin Monroe and written by him as well. And he went on to write and direct the Ratchet and Clank movie. The live act, uh, the the CGI Oof. one, That's which a was a TCV. doozy, but of a doozy. That hasn't uh, come out yet. It is. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yeah. and oh it's got no. a lot of farts in it. <laughs> um, so yeah, not very good. Um, but I have a lot of sympathy for that guy because I actually think he's really trying. Um, so, anyways, yeah, the 2012 series then was great. It was loads of fun. Really dark, gothic. Kind of got into the relationships of the turtles and you know the obviously the friction between the hot-headed ralph and then like uh raf and uh then uh leonardo just being kind of a stern leader yeah. a great voice cast great design great animation if you look up the boards are fantastic as yeah well. the boards are I've Oof, seen the boards so good uh and then um yeah obviously the michael bay films came out there was one of those did very well in China apparently so okay. it did enough money that they were like okay let's get into this yeah. turtle making movie business uh, Michael Bay produced it did not direct it oh, as is sick. often the case and uh, uh, so anyways the movie was um, 
fine. The turtle's personality was pretty good. Uh, CGI wasn't great. Setting was whatever. Blah blah blah. Second one, a lot better. Oh yeah. Uh, but way were underperformed fantastically. They gave up on it. They're rebooting it again. You know. Oh. Another Irish connection. Seamus the wrestler played. Uh, was it Rocksteady? I think. Yeah. Oh, Rocksteady. cool. So yeah. Nice. Oh god. Sorry. I know I'm really getting my turtles like here. <laughs> but guess guess you know Bebop and Rocksteady in the 2012 series, the animated one. Yeah. Uh, CGI animated 2012 series uh, Bebop was voiced by JB Smoove from Kirby Enthusiasm do you know who like plays like uh, Larry's friend who like oh, lives in his fucking, house oh um, Leon Leon yes Leon. oh amazing so he plays Bebop and yeah. he just makes it yeah. like these noises <laughs> yeah. all the time and it's like go get in the earth Larry yeah, go get like, in the earth no he's like doing it and he, it's a perfect voice for Bebop wow. like imagine that war talk and he's like a skinny war talk and he's like man I'm a war talk he's like this is so good he's amazing and then for some reason I, I just pure genius The they had this insane kind of like Russian gangster who had like one of those like crazy Russian hats you know like not crazy Russian hats you know the ones I'm talking about the ones that are like tubes they're like fluffy oh yes yeah. another one yeah he's got, he's got like tube. he had like one of those and then I think his like even his like weapon of choice was like a sickle like he was just a really <laughs> jokey Cosmo, Cosmo what am I looking for not a Cosmo but like a communist Com- you know? yeah yeah and uh they, they, so these were like two pre-existing characters and they were just like, we'll turn them into Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah. So Bebop is like this kind of, you know, um, kind of groovy, you know, the guy who's got like a purple mohawk and yeah. he's already kind of hip and trendy we'll, and yeah. kind of talks like Michael Jackson, you know? <laughs> and like, and then they have uh, Rocksteady who's like a fucking communist rhino <laughs> and he's like comrade we must go here and he's just like charging through. I was like you guys are ge-. I just loved it they're <laughs> geniuses like the whole series is amazing I cannot compliment it enough and now to go back to, to bitching on the new series which is just a fucking like every character feels exactly the same the, the, the animation may be impressive but to what fucking end because who cares you yeah. know so in response to Eastman saying uh which ultimately, because of the success of the Turtles, we could no longer do uh, kind of a trip. So he's basically saying that they couldn't work on the comics anymore. Uh, yeah. They thought, like, we can do whatever we want with the series as long as we can keep doing what we want with the comics. We can take out the edges of it, remove beer and violence yeah, and all yeah. this and swearing, you know. Um, but it's fine because we'll be able to do the comics but then they couldn't uh, because of the lawsuits yeah and then uh, Groth is like lawsuits people were suing you yeah it seemed like everybody was Groth's like for what anything Buffalo Bob from the Howdy Doody show filed a five million dollar suit because he said we stole cowabunga from him he used to say it in the Clarabelle the cow segment I guess I've never seen a Howdy Doody show to be honest but I guess he used to come out and say cowabunga uh, Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon used it through all the big beach blanket bingo movies as a surfer term. And I think Bart Simpson, which I hear he also he also sued Matt Groening for stealing Cowabunga, um, was what our lawyers called strike suits. Basically, they come in and they say, we have grounds for a case and we're suing you for $5 million. But after a couple of months of due diligence and sorting it out, they'd say, look, we'll settle for $50,000. <laughs> So that's what ends up happening, dealing with tons of fucking lawsuits. So, um, but the one, the, the part of the lawsuits that I wanted to get to was when, then there was Fred Wolf. 
the oh. animation company that we worked with hired by Playmates, a work for hire animation studio that basically said they created everything about the turtles that made them such a big phenomena. So they sued for half the royalties that we'd made in the entire history of the property. That was a big suit. Millions and millions of dollars to deal with that. I mean, this guy's de- deposition had stuff like, we put the turtles in the sewer. We put the turtles in the sewer. Issue one. We put our character April in a jumpsuit. That was issue two. It was ludicrous. It was phenomenal. Anybody that wanted to sue you could, use, could sue you for whatever grounds and did. So Fuck. I just thought that was an interesting thing that's yeah. always left out of like, they have these like turtles documentaries and it's like, it's just such a time to be working. And it's yeah. like, remember when you sued them for half the royalties yeah. of this? Like, anyway. But he sent my water in the... Okay. So that's the broad history of the turtles. Not even their time in Ireland. God damn it. <laughs> All right, well, it's a good episode. I hope this is interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with the thing. So, uh, wrap it up. We're going to try and we're going to talk about. Uh, obviously, we watched an episode of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the show, and it was The Irish Jig is Up, yep. where they come to Ireland. So, I'm going to read the plot synopsis for this episode just so we, everybody has a broad um, idea. Idea of what's going on. I said broad a lot in this podcast. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Splinter journey to Dublin, capital of the Republic of Ireland, thank you, IMDb, land of myth and legend. Meanwhile, Shredder, Rocksteady, and Bebop use Krang's rainbow trans charmer to transform all of the cute furry animals in Dublin into vicious beasts yeah. for reasons I can't really... I don't understand why he needs Ireland. You know what I mean? Sounds a lot like... Uh Mondays at Coppers or something like Sounds that. Sounds a lot like honest. these multinationals coming in, huh? Doesn't it? <laughs> Fuck, he's, <Those> do- <laughs> he's doing it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bloody clowns. One um, pint of Smithics and he's off. <laughs> <laughs> They're sick of the countryside, so they come to Dublin. Yeah, nice. Where Splinter wants to teach them about the myths and legends of St. <laughs> and Patrick. There's, where there's a statue standing in Stephen's Green. <laughs> With St. Patrick on horseback with two swords above his head, ready yeah, to cut off the Queen of Scots' Pretty head. brutal. Um, <laughs> look very violent. Um, and then uh, they decided they would go back to the countryside, so they did. I'm presuming they were in Meath, Cav? Yeah. Could well be, yeah. Could I, be, saw, yeah. I was like, there's my house! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they went to a big castle, and then they got chased by rabbits, I guess, you know? Rabbit and a chicken, yeah. A chicken, chicken with yeah. teeth. No, and a rabbit later. with two sets of teeth. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. No, yeah. you are correct. It did. The rabbit did have two sets of teeth. Yeah. That needs to go on record. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, no Irish people in an episode based no. in Ireland. Um, and then, um, yeah, they went to Dublin Zoo, and the Dublin which Zoo. did not look like Dublin Zoo, but it whatever. More like Tato Park's pathetic yeah. excuse for animal exhibits. Yeah, it did look like Tato Park. <laughs> you know what? Tato Park. They saw coming. Tato Park. The turtles can sue Tato Park. Yeah, yeah. Fred Wolf will be like. <laughs> Actually, I'm owed half of the royalties on yeah, of the girl that is owed royalties for getting whiplash on the potato oh, yeah. park. Uh, the I love that I'm like giving out about this guy trying to get royalties off like a big money making thing. It's kind of like, you know, it's not really like fucking if you're getting money, you might as well, you know, fucking anyway, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that was the episode. Was it good? How many? How many? Oh, yeah. I'll how tell you the turtle thumbs out of 10. Turtle thumbs. But one thing before we uh, wrap up talking about that. Um, is a little story here. So, in an article written in 2014 for Brown Bag Labs, okay, uh, our good old friend Gary Blatchford Big has Gaza. written... The Gaza himself. A uh, friend of the pod, Gary Blatchford. Um, 
He says, in 1989, the Murakami Wolf Studio was set up in 1989. That's, somebody didn't proofread this. <laughs> to, work on, to work on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and James Bond Jr. animated series. Joining the Sullivan and Bluth and the Emerald City Studios, which I now discovered yeah, from this yeah. thing, um, already based in Dublin. In series seven... 1998, 19, no, 1997, 98 of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, sorry. Oh my God, what an article. They headed to Ireland. By this time, the Dublin studio is busy working on the Zorro series. So the Irish Turtles episode was directed and designed by the team in Wolf Studios in Burbank, California. This episode was directed by Bill Wolf, who had visited the Dublin studio several times over the year. It was open... Oh, the years it was open and spent a long period with the team when they were beginning the designs on Zorro. In a bizarre switch around, the guys in Dublin were working on the Zorro early 19th century California design, while the Californians were working on designing oh, Dublin locations. By the time you know? the... So, yeah. Except the episode was made in 1992, not 97, Gary. Do you want to answer for this, Gary Blatchford? Big Gaza. We're calling them out as yeah. an exclusive for this podcast. But the funny thing about it is when I looked up the episode, it was listed, uh, like when I looked up the episode to watch yeah. on the Daily Motion, Motion of the Ocean, oh. there was a, <laughs> uh, it said Series 7 as well. But on IMDb, it says Series 3, and it was released in 1993. But then when you watch the end of the episode, it said it was made in 1992. I don't know. So I have no idea what's going on. It's a funny anecdote all the same. Yeah. So there you go. That's a nice little story. And with that knowledge um, and the history and the culture of the turtles, what would you give it now out of? I had it. I had a laugh. Okay. I had some fun. I don't know why we're bothering. Like going Crack like oh. August Kill. They had some trad in there as well. I feel like. Did but, they? Yeah, they had, they had little diddly, like kind of diddly idol at the start there. I give it a nice. Uh, I'll give it a quaint. A quaint. Two and a half out of five. Yeah, that's pretty good. Out of five for, original for fingers on a hand. But <laughs> okay, cool. then 1.333 for the amount of fingers that they have on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> a third of their fingers. I, know, I think people know what you mean. I think we're, I think we're clear. <laughs> we're incredibly clear. I'm so <laughs> caught up on... <laughs> <laughs> on explaining fractions to minors. So yeah, I that was been a primary school teacher. <laughs> I was getting cut out. Uh, and you, Cough. Gareth? Uh, I'm going to do it out of ten, and I'm going to say, and it's ten uh, pizza slices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five out of ten because I did get a kick out of seeing Dublin at the start yeah. when they had the four courts and uh, do you know what like it was self aware it's basically the same the setup like the intro shot is basically the exact same as the Fair City one it's like yeah, looking yeah, down yeah. on character basically which is funny so, and the lack of kind of like really obvious Irish jokes was quite funny yeah. and the way they use like actual Irish locations yeah you know, like Dublin Zoo and that weird castle in the middle of nowhere <laughs> So, for Whistle While You Work, we talk about podcasts and uh, things that you might not have considered listening to while you're animating or doing whatever you do in the animation industry. Uh, my one today is Your Kickstarter Sucks, the podcast, where Jesse Farrar and Mike Hale talk about uh, really terrible Kickstarters. 
and their humor is very funny very dry and uh i thoroughly recommend listening to that one so cab what do you got for us did you uh, think of one yeah i, I just <laughs> just yeah. there nice. i just thought of uh for because sometimes i feel like when you're animating you can get a little frantic and you, sometimes you just need to take a minute to uh what relaxes uh, one that will relax me mm, like mm. uh incense pod podcast is uh the report of the week which oh. i know technically isn't a podcast but it's very easy not to look at the youtube video and that's basically one where he'll just um rate and review uh american fast food products but he's oh, cool. uh the character himself this report of the week i think his actual name is john uh it's just quite the character it's it, you're coming yeah. back for him you're not really coming back for like the nacho <laughs> cheese bites or whatever the heck it's gonna be yeah but uh, i thoroughly recommend there's a podcast i haven't listened to called doughboys which is my same. friend ewan yeah. uh is mad you. for that yeah shout yeah. out to you appreciate Can I say it hello to this boy <laughs> <laughs> i just want to say hello to my mom and my dad hi mom and my sister brandy or <laughs> brandy's my dog <laughs> So another thing we need to tell is uh, drink and draw. Um, sorry, Calf. Wednesday, Wednesday the thirtieth. Uh, come by. It's uh, Lucky's. It's just around the corner from Vicker Street. It's yeah, gonna be. A, so it's gonna be a good time. Right. Oh, and then if you if you missed that though, we should say as well that the uh, comics jam is on the day after. Ooh, if people cool. can't make it on Wednesday, that's gonna be upstairs at seven, I think, in the, in the Lord Edward. Place. Oh no, in a different. So it's Lord Edward, which I think is just more or less across the road from Trinity. So. There you go. No, Lord Edward is across the road from Christchurch. Oh, my Right next to Juries in near Christchurch. Um, so both in the Thomas Street area. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, drink and draw happening. And then you have uh, the comics jam the next day. Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I've been Gareth Lyons and this is, you, you can you can outro himself. <laughs> and this has been the Hack Podcast. Oh. What up? Ha, 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 ha.